Yes, we all have different kinds of personality. You asked about how one works with that multiple personality. Yeah. Two things. I think if oneself, if you yourself can recognize what you're doing and why you're doing it, in other words, what characteristic, what caricature you're inhabiting at the time, then you can adjust your actions to make it easier for other people to interact with you. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Shift with Shubra. I am your host, Shubra Venetti, and on today's episode, we will be in discussion with Professor Alistair Pierce, PhD, on the topic of working with creatives. Now, Alistair and I go quite way back. He was the principal of Rosebrifford College, which is the college I attended during his time there. He then went on to being the president of LaSalle College of Arts here in Singapore. Recently, Professor Alistair Pierce has been the founder and director of working with creatives, an organization that he has set up, which creates seminars, mentorships for creatives within the organization, managers who are working with people who are creatives within their teams to recognize their different types of talents, their different types of personalities within their team and organizations, and how by recognizing these different types of personalities, better enhance the quality of life while working in that company as well. So there's a happier working life together. So if you are someone who works in a company, if you are someone who leads a team of various individuals and you're always trying to engage in creative work, I really highly recommend that you listen to today's podcast. And if any on this, anything on this podcast has resonated with you, please do share, subscribe, like, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Alistair Pierce, for joining us on the show. I'm so, so excited to speak to you again, Alistair, after such a long time and so excited for the work that you've started doing as well, working with creatives, which I think is such an important subject, not just obviously in Western concepts, but even in the Asian concept, I think this is something that would be really, really interesting for people here in this side of the world. So I just wanted to sort of kick off with the, with, for the audience. I sort of talked about how you have been in different organizations, leading different organizations, artistic one institutions, trades, and now you've started doing this work where you lead seminars about working with creative people. And I just wanted to understand what was the journey that led you to establishing working with the creatives. Well, Shubra, thanks very much for inviting me. Yeah, and you're right that this work is important, not only for where I happen to be at the moment, which is Western Europe, but internationally. And Southeast Asia is, as a growing area and as in growing economic importance, is an absolute prime site for work with working with creatives. How did I get here? Wow. Well, I started as a music lecturer in a university, teaching students music theory, music history, all that sort of stuff. But whilst I was doing that, I had to work with a lot of creative people in that institution, trying to get them to work more effectively with their creativity within the context of a larger organization, the university. Mm. Mm. And that duality between the creative individual and the organization within which they work, getting that relationship to work is key to what I'm doing now. Mm. Anyway, I did that for a bit, for several years. And then the head of the university asked me to go and talk to a little drama school just around the corner about perhaps becoming part of the university. 
And I said to some colleagues in the music college that I was being asked to do that. And they said, oh, no, 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 don't do that, Alastair. They're very different there. That's drama people. No, no, no. <laughs> I went anyway and found exactly the same issues, exactly mm. the same worries that these creative people had about maintaining their own creativity within a larger organization, exactly the same excitement, exactly the same fears, exactly the same everything. Mm. And that sort of made me think, oh, well, this creativity business, this is not unique to the subject that it's talking about, in my case, music. Mm. So I started, I was getting a bit fed up working at the Music Conservatoire, because I'd done that for about 10 years, 12 years. And I saw an advert to be head of a drama college, a major drama college in the UK called Rose Bruford College, where we yeah. met. Yes! We <laughs> You were my, you were a star student there. You had a great social conscience. You had great dedication. You had great organizational skills. You were a terrific student. You were exactly the kind of student that I wanted to see at, at Rose Bruford. And the colleagues I had on the staff at Rose Bruford, as well as the students, were the same too. They were the same too. Continually negotiating their own creativity within the context of wider societal or organizational constraints or opportunities. Mm. Mm. And so after a few years, I, I then got the job as being president of La Salle College of the Arts in Singapore. Much bigger, much posher, much richer, very Southeast Asian, which was mm. new to me and exciting, but exactly the same. Mm. Exactly the same issues of creativity that I'd seen in the music college, that I'd seen in the drama college, and I now saw in this multi-faculty organization that taught art, fine artists, drama people, musicians, designers, photographers, dancers, the lot. And so I came to the position of now starting this company, working with creatives, through a realization that creativity is universal, it is seen, if you turn over a stone, creativity is underneath it. But sometimes lifting that stone can take a bit of effort because mm. creative people can be tricky. But the reason they're tricky, basically, is because they are following some sort of inbuilt, intuitive need to be creative. They're fitting that within an organization that has constraints, that has procedures, that has employment policies, that has promotion methods, that has reward structures, that has, you can't park here because that parking space isn't yours, has all that stuff. And it's the conflict between the individual's creativity and the organizational constraints that mm. can sometimes cause problems in managing and working with creative people. But if you know how to do it, it can be done. And right. my organization, Working With Creatives, teaches organizations how to do it so mm. they can get the best out of their creatives so the creatives are happy and effective and working for the institution as well as themselves. Right. And so that means then effectively just by the fact that you're working with people with any of these creative like archetypes, essentially, is what you've got, you know, listed out on your website. This effectively could work for any organization. It doesn't have to be an artistic organization no, per se. You're absolutely right. Creativity is a function of being a human being. Hmm. 
and even accountants, they're human beings too. And yes. so therefore they can be creative too. And mm. so organizations increasingly today, and certainly as we move out of coronavirus pandemic, need the creativity of their colleagues. And they can be lawyers, they can be accountants, they can be bankers, they can be people who make bath taps, yeah. can be creative, and manufacturing industries. There mm. is no limit to creativity. There's, mm. there's a phrase that is a tricky phrase, and that is we talk about the creative industries. Yes. And by the creative industries, we mean writers, artists, designers, advertisers, perhaps. But that phrase is dangerous because it implies that if you're not one of those, then you're not creative. Exactly. It's not a, and that's dangerous and untrue. Creativity can be anywhere. So my company is marketed to any kinds of organizations. I was talking to my hairdresser yesterday, the first time I've been able to get my hair cut in the last nine months. Your viewers will be very pleased to know was yesterday. <laughs> and I was talking to her about working with creatives. And she said, oh, yeah, that rings some bells. Could I come in and talk to her hairdressing company, all the people in her hairdressing company? about how to work with creatives. So yeah, fine. So that's one of the things I suspect I'll do in the next few months. That's amazing. Yes, because essentially it's about, I think one of the beautiful things about having that many architects that you have also described, which we'll go into, is that I think everyone has, I mean, basically, as you've been saying, creative people are not limited to just the creative arts. You have creativity in every single human being and we all approach creativity in many different ways. And sometimes in every job, almost every job on this planet, they've asked you to be creative, whether it is stacking, you know, a cleaning supply closet in a methodological way that doesn't get in, you know, the way of, I don't know, the hallway to if you actually have to make a whole creative presentation for a pitch of some kind, you still have to use the creative brain uh, part of you to, to do that. And then knowing perhaps the way that you exercise that creativity in relation to someone else's different way of exercising their creative archetype, then you can basically harmonize and synergize that. Am I, am I kind of getting this? Is that what yeah, you're trying absolutely. to get? Absolutely. But let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Imagine you're sitting in a restaurant and the table is wobbly. Mm -hmm. One of the legs is a bit too short. Yeah. And it's really annoying because it's quite yeah. an expensive restaurant. So you decide to take one of the napkins that are on the table and you stick it under one of the legs. Yeah, that's me. The right yeah. Okay, fine. Now, was that being creative or was that solving a problem? And if it's solving a problem, is problem solving the same as creativity? Oh, that's a very good question. I think it is because you have to use the creative factors to understand how to manipulate your environment and then take in what is in your environment to then address the problem and solve it. I agree with you, mm. but we are not, we haven't fully won the argument. There is right. in, this, in this world of creativity, there are some academics who would make a distinction between problem solving and creativity. Now, I don't think that's right. I think creativity is a huge continuum. It's a spectrum from sticking the napkin underneath the wobbly table at one extreme to being Van Gogh painting, mm. painting great art on the other. This is a continuum of creativity. Mm. And what my organization does is 
encourage organizations to put into place the mindsets and the practical procedures that allow people to move a bit further up that continuum towards higher end creativity, towards deeper mm. creativity. And why do you think people would need that? Because the organizations that pay their salaries need mm. that. Mm. The organizations want creativity. Let's think of another continuum. There's a phrase that I used to hear quite a lot, which is, oh, yeah, going to work today. Another day, another dollar. Have you mm. heard that? Phrase? Another mm. day, uh -huh. another dollar. Mm. And that's the sort of idea of somebody who just, okay, it's a deal. I've made a deal with this company. I've, I will do what they tell me to do, even though it bores me to tears, because they will pay me the money. Yep. Now, that person isn't going to be creative. No. That person is just turning up because he or she feels she has to turn up to get the money. Get paycheck, yeah. Yeah, just, just the paycheck. That's not the kind of creativity that companies need. Companies and any company, as you said, any company succeeds today. It needs people being more creative, coming up with new ideas, contributing to the development of that company. And... Mm. So that's why my organization helps companies to just nudge potentially creative people up the continuum towards the creative end and away from the simple problem solving, another day, another dollar kind of end. Mm. Of yeah, it does. I'm trying to apply it to like different types of organizations. So how about some of the organizations that you've already worked with. Could you give us some examples, maybe? I've done seminars which have involved people from the BBC, the mm -hmm. UK National Broadcasting Agency, and also from arts organizations such as the Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, which is one of our big performance venues for ballet and for opera. And they were different in a way because the BBC is a very kind of bureaucratic, well-organized organization, but it requires from its staff um, creativity coming up with new ideas, new pitches, new ways of doing things, new formats, rather than simply repeating the same old thing. What I did with the Royal Opera House was they had a very sort of differentiated idea of who are the creatives and who aren't the creatives. Right. And that was typified even by the places people chose to sit while having lunch. Mm. And there was a reorganization there, which involved some building work going on. And that building work meant for a time, the two separate areas for eating couldn't continue. They had to share an eating place. And the degree you get what's going to happen. And that accident created much better collaboration and understanding between the two sides of the organization than mm. had happened before. And greater creativity on the part of the non-creatives and much better understanding of what the organization needs of the creatives by the people who thought of themselves as, oh, well, we're the creatives. Mm. So there's much better dialogue going on. And so you mentioned that you do seminars. Do you what yeah. kind of services do you offer then? Yeah. Okay. The main one is yeah the seminars. I go into an organisation, and either go through ways in which staff can recognise the creative personality types that they'll be working with every day, and just think for a minute. This isn't rocket science. This is quite straightforward. I'm sure we'll come on to this. 
they will recognize ways in which they can assist that creative person become more creative and ways in which they can just by simple things like not insisting that somebody who hates working in teams works in teams. Yeah. You know, that, that's not a great Einsteinian leap of deduction or helping somebody who really feels close. I call this character artiste. It's a character who feels really close to her work mm. so that her work is almost like her children. Mm. She feels a personal DNA connection with what she does. In that situation, once you've realized that, then you can imagine that a team meeting or a focus group, which happens whilst that child of hers is still very young, mm. which has, right, now we're going to criticize your ideas and we're going to really get smarten up your ideas, artiste, because they're a bit floppy at the moment. Mm. Once you, you realize now, just from that little introduction I've given, that that's going to be deeply wounding yeah. or deeply challenging to the mother who's just mm. given birth. And whose yep. babies are still too young for that kind of rough and tough adult treatment. So just hold off for a bit. Mm. Hold off. Delay the focus group for a few weeks. Let those ideas grow a bit and solidify before they're challenged. Mm. Whereas another character, who we might describe in a minute, who I call playful, might love to have to go and play with other friends in a focus group meeting and have ideas challenged right from the start. It might even help Playful to develop his thinking further with new ideas. And so, yeah, have he can work in a team. He can stand up to criticism to start to as an early stage. And again, that once you've recognized, that's not hard. That's not mm. hard to work out. But you first of all have to recognize the psychological position from which that creative person is speaking. Mm. and adjust the interactions you have with him or her accordingly. Oh, I must just say one thing, Shubra, before you get loads of emails from people saying, how dare Professor Pierce say his and her and link gender to these characteristics? <laughs> these are random. Yeah. I just call these characters his and her out of random deduction. There is no connection that I've ever discovered between personality type and in creatives and gender. So mm. please forgive me for, for yeah. that. No, absolutely. When I looked at the archetypes myself, I was just like, oh, I wonder what I am. And I was like, I probably am like two ends of the spectrum. I feel like I am sometimes the artiste and then sometimes the facilitator, depending on how much of the product has already germinated and then is going, okay, now I want to facilitate because I need other people to then really like blossom it out. But the core of it would be the artiste part of it. That's what I was sort of thinking. And had my, I probably remember, and many of the viewers will not know this, but basically when I was in Rose Bruford under Alistair Pierce, I organized a theater project back in India with about 13 other colleagues from the school. Some graduates, many of us were already in our second year at that point, or like end of second year or third year or something like that. And if we had known the different types of creative personalities that we were, I think some of the clashes could have been slightly avoided because also we were all staying in the same apartment and trying to get this theater project going with 60 children from two schools and things like that. Like, as we say, there's creative differences, but in terms of creating creative product together, because of all our different ways of approaching things, it could have just probably saved a lot of tension moments, <laughs> shall we say. It's interesting you to say that, Shubra. I was wondering, as I was just thinking about this interview this morning, 
about which creative personality type you might feel most at home with. And I too thought, I bet she's an artiste at heart. And I too thought back to that time when you went to India. And I wondered how you got on. Because in a sense, I was your manager. So let's yeah. use you as a case study in interaction. Yeah. As your sort of supreme manager, as principal of the college, I didn't have that much to do with you. I didn't have, I didn't teach you firsthand. I was aware of your existence, but I didn't physically teach you. Mm. And so all I was aware of was this creative young woman who had this very good idea about going to India to do this project, which I thought was morally commendable, creatively exciting, a good way of getting other students involved in and was a good teamwork exercise. So it ticked lots of boxes for me. What I hadn't at that stage thought about was, I wonder what she's like to work with from the other people. I knew she was fine to work with from my position as her ultimate manager, because she was doing what I wanted the organization to do. I wanted my organization to be outward looking, morally responsible, exciting and innovative. So you were fulfilling the aims of my institution that I had. So from me, fine, 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 great, let her get on with and we'll give her the money to do it. What I failed to think about, but now I encourage other managers to think about is, yeah, okay, she's all right from a sort of a corporate point of view, but I wonder what her colleagues think of her. Mm. And what I was wondering, and what I'm going to challenge you with now, mm. what I was wondering to just as I was preparing this interview was if she's a bit artiste, if she's a bit sort of, this is my project, this is my baby, I own it, I don't want people to interfere with it, I am not don't really like being challenged about what I'm doing, I want it to flourish under my control, I don't want to relinquish bits of influence, then I was thinking, oh, blimey, the, uh, mm -hmm. the people working with her might have a bit of a hard time because how is she going to react when others want their ideas to be incorporated into her perfect DNA replica of herself? Mm. And so did that happen? Was that an issue? Yeah, absolutely it was. And it, because I did the project again a few years later with a few members of the team, we did it privately. Some of the similar issues had come up because I had a very set vision of what I thought this could be. I knew that these talented individuals around me were well and able to take it to the next level that was out of my thinking. But there were certain elements that I was just not there were some elements that were really hard for me to budge on. And there were certain elements that, of course, what I would say is that I gave a framework, but I gave them a lot of artistic license into how they wanted to, to sort of bring the vision to life. But there were very specific things that I thought from a managerial budget point of view that maybe we would not bend for the creative vision just to allow for, you know, bend the budget to allow for the creative vision. That's um, very, very interesting. That's a classic managerial facilitator role. Another of the characters is facilitator, yes. who basically doesn't do the creativity themselves, but facilitates others' mm. creativity. And one of the problems creative people have when being promoted to becoming a manager is they sometimes have to relinquish some of that first-hand creative 
creativity themselves and instead get their creative kicks through through facilitating the creativity of others. And that can be liberating for some people. It can be stifling for others. But can I introduce another creative personality? Yeah. Playful. Mm. Playful, because I bet you had some playfuls in that group that you were working with. And most organizations do have playfuls. Playful is the kind of person who says things like, well, if you can't have fun at work, what's the point? And playful will be somebody who is fairly unpredictable. They're, they're great fun to work with, great fun to work with. People will like working with playful. Well, if they work very closely with playful, they might find him a bit, because of his unpredictability, might find him difficult to work with sometimes, particularly with timescales and things, because, you know, yeah. he cares about time scales. If you're having fun, if you're working with a budget, that might be, well, you know, no, this is much more important than a budget. Who cares about budgets? But within the organization, because he's fun, because he goes out for a drink with his mates and stuff and has a good time and is amusing, interesting and very creative, he'll be popular within the organization, perhaps less so with those that work closely with him. And playful is a very interesting and classic kind of character for as creatives go. And what he does is he sometimes can be sulky mm. and doesn't try to cover it up. So he can be depressed uh, one day and he can be great fun the next. And he says, right, let's try this idea. No, no, let's stop that idea and we'll try this one. So mm. he's very erratic and can yeah. move with great enthusiasm from one project to not caring about it at all the next minute and jumping on board with another. As a mother, mm. do you recognize any of these characteristics? I do, but it's not with my daughter. That's the thing. I see it in one another member of my family. Why? <laughs> That's okay. Yes. Yes. But these um, characteristics are classically childhood characteristics. Mm. And what playful, maybe as your daughter gets older, she's only three at the moment. So yes. maybe as she gets older, this will see itself more. Yeah. Certainly she's, I see it in my 11-year-old daughter a lot. <laughs> I think mine is um, more like a facilitator at the moment. She's really very good at telling us what to do. No, that's yeah. more dictator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that one as well. But playful is able to, in psychological terms, is able to get into his child ego state very mm. easily. Sorry, a bit of psychological jargon. Oh, and one thing I must say, none of my, the training I give to companies expects managers to become amateur psychotherapists. That's yeah. not what I'm doing. But the playful character likes to be in their child ego state. And childhood is a wonderful time because you've got time, you've got optimism, and you've got the facilities to be able to inhabit this playful world. Mm. And so, but how does the manager yeah. of a playful employee actually mm. get the best out of them? Mm. And there are various techniques, such as acknowledging that mm. they that person needs to be in that child ego state to do their most creative work. So you don't try and change them. You don't say to them, oh, come on, grow up. Let's get on with this work. It's beyond the deadline already. Hopeless. Right. Hopeless. Yeah. You don't try and change them. You don't try and drag them out of that. Mm. But you are perhaps a bit careful about at what stages of a project you would use them. 
So right. playful would be very good at the very early stages of a project where you need lots of wacky ideas, where you don't need people saying, oh, that's not going to work. What you want is people saying, oh, well, that's how about doing this? And what about this idea? I know it's a bit off the wall, but how about it? Playful would be great at that sort of early stage. Once those that early stage has been set in concrete and you now have to have timescales and budgets and all the rest of it, take playful off it. Right. Put playful onto the next early stage of a project. The other thing to do with playful, if playful is working with other colleagues and they're getting a bit fed up with his playfulness, is as a manager, you need to protect those other people from playful's playfulness. So you have to empower the other people to say things like, sorry, playful, I can spend 15 minutes chatting with you about this new zappy idea, which sounds great, but then I'm going to have to get on with some work because I've got some other stuff I'm going to have to do. Mm. Now, Playful's reaction might be to go to the manager, just as a child might to a mother, and say, oh, Jim won't play with me anymore. Why doesn't Jim like me? Mm. And the manager has to understand that that's fine. Mm. That's fine. Playful will react like that, but there's no need to go off to tell Jim off and that he's got to play with Playful. Indeed, you, your job as a manager is to protect Jim from playful's playfulness at certain times when it's not helpful to Jim or your company. Mm. So okay, those two managerial inputs, the letting playful be playful, but putting him on bits of projects where his playfulness is useful and protecting Jim and the others on the team from playful's excesses. You know, that's not hard to work out, mm. nor is it hard to implement particularly, yeah. but it does require that the manager recognizes that playful is playful and consequently needs handling in a particular way. So, then, so when you were working with the people in India, the other colleagues, did you have playfuls in your group? I think we had. By that time, we were quite down the line when we got to India. But previously, yes, I mean, if Jonathan Hughes watches this or hears this, Jonathan was quite a playful one. I think Rebecca was as well. But I mean, I wouldn't say everyone was like way out there from what I could remember my memory is not so good as after having a child that's for sure but I would imagine someone like my so I'm now going to tell which family member but my mother because she watches this is very much that type of personality like if you need someone who is just like I've got ideas and I just want to you know spitball and just throw some things out and also can quickly swiftly change ideas and kind of wants to do it now 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 and experiment it now 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 that's definitely her and sometimes with the rest of us who are like, you know, as I said, I'm quite artiste or, or a little bit facilitator or my father. I think my father's probably a monk, I, if I remember your monk. other architect. To monk, yeah. Who's yeah. quite detached, right, from everything. Can you describe monk again? Yeah, Sorry monk. For me. monk is creative. There's a, a quotation I came across in a book about creativity the other day, which says, creatives do what they must. The talented do what they can. Mm. creatives do what they must the talented do what they can mm. there's some truth in that I think I don't entirely agree with it but it implies that some creatives are kind of driven by some internal mission some mm. vocation about what they have to do you sometimes hear people described as great creative people described as this is what they were born to do yeah that phrase. now whether whether that has any sort of technical validity or not, I don't know, and I doubt it. 
but it shows how people think about their creativity sometimes as something that is them. Mm. And sometimes when talking to musicians, if you go up to a musician at a party and say, so, hi, my name's Alistair, who are you? They say, I'm a clarinetist. Right. Or I'm a pianist. Mm. As if that is their identity more than my name's Jane or my name's yeah. Fred. Yeah. I'm a clarinetist. This is their vocation. Mm. And so almost, I've used the word monk to describe this kind of person because monks right. have vocations, have religious vocations. I'm not suggesting it's religious in any sense, but no. it's that idea of vocation, that this is mm. what they were born to do. Creatives do what they must. Monk must do what monks must do. The talented do what they can. <laughs> That's a bit dismissive of talent, I think, but it's good on the monk. And creativity, I think all creativity is disruptive. Mm. People who don't like change aren't creative. Mm. Creativity is about change. And if monk has this vocation of exactly what kind of change he wants to engender, his personal vocation, then that's going to cause problems in an organization because the organization also has its aims and its procedures. And unless, very fortunately and luckily, Monk's vocation fits and helps fulfill the organization's vocation, unless those two are aligned, mm. then Monk is going to be fed up. And he's the kind of person, the other end of the spectrum from the another day, another dollar. Yeah. Monk would never accept that deal of another yes. day, another dollar. Yes. Monk, a monk must do what he feels he is born to do. Mm. So Monk is tricky to work with because he has this driven attitude, which is immovable. Mm. So therefore, Monk as a manager, will Monk be promoted as a manager? Should you promote Monk as to be a manager? Probably not, because mm. he's not the most empathic person in the world. He won't be able to manage to be sensitive to these different forms of creativity because he knows what he's got to do and he will do it. Mm. And so the flex, not particularly flexible. I am kind of going to go to my next question because I think how would people work with if there is, because I think my father embodies a few and I think I also embody a few because even if you're talking about monk, I think in a different aspect of my life, I feel like I am definitely more monk, at least with my current work, I'm definitely a lot more imbibing the monk aspects for my current vocation. So how do people work if there are multiple archetypes within that person? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. My caricatures, I call them caricatures rather than personality types. Right. Because a caricature, a drawing, a caricature of a politician or something in the newspapers emphasizes certain characteristics. So if that politician has sticky ideas, then in the caricature, the drawing, they'll have massive sticky ideas. Um, and so my caricatures emphasize one aspect. Now, nobody, as far as I've ever met, has only one of these characteristics. All of us are combinations of different mm. personality types. And we use them at different times. 
So I can imagine a playful person being playful in certain contexts, but perhaps your mother, for example, who you said was playful, would be playful in contexts where new ideas are needed and she enjoys doing that. But I bet when she, when you were a little girl, when she was sort of bringing you up as a child, she sometimes had to be quite monkish, perhaps, mm-hmm. about discipline or about, you know, the time you got to come in from going out partying when you were a bit older and, and really quite firm, perhaps, mm. about what she thought her role as a mother must entail. So mm. therefore, yes, we all have different kinds of personality. You asked about how one works with that multiple personality. Yeah. Two things. I think if oneself, if you yourself can recognize what you're doing and why you're doing it, In other words, what characteristic, what caricature you're inhabiting at the time, then you can adjust your actions to make it easier for other people to interact with you. Mm. So I know when I'm working in an organization, I'm thinking about LaSalle or or, um, Rose Bruford, I have a very clear idea about a new course that's being started. And this could be in a commercial organization, this could be a new product that's being manufactured. And I know that it's got to cost no more than X, Y, Z. And so if I know, well, I'm coming from a very sort of managerial facilitator role, even a monkish role here, but I'm talking to somebody who just wants to make the best project possible, the best product possible, and doesn't care about budgets. It's pointless. If I know me, and if I know that other person, where they're coming from, I don't make the mistake of saying, Oh, for goodness sake, come on, it mustn't cost more than $50 a unit, and it's got to be ready in three months. I have to allow that other person to have some fun if they're Mm. playful, and I've got to allow them to gradually negotiate with them a solution that fulfills their creativity, or as well as my need as the manager. And so watching and being sensitive to the way people change and inhabit different personality types as they go through a project, for example. Because the important point here is if the manager or the colleague doesn't do that, the creative person loses their enthusiasm for creativity and the company loses the value of that colleague because they become less and they become another day, another dollar. And that's no good. I mean, it sounds like basically this could apply very well to not just obviously managers and people in management positions, but even just to the actual team members, to the colleagues themselves, so that they can start having some more awareness, more mindfulness within their own caricatures. And then knowing a little bit more information about it, they also can manage their energies about that as well. Am I saying that correctly? You think? Yeah. Knowing yourself is hugely important. And being sensitive to the needs of your creative colleagues is essential. Um, So that, so for example, I've called somebody solo. Solo is the person who's hopeless working in teams, really doesn't like working in teams. So why does solo not like working in teams? Classic solos, and I suspect you might be one of these a bit, in some respects. I'm I'm many definitely on that list. (laughs) Well, that's probably quite a healthy position to be in, being able to move from these different attitudes. Solo likes to get ideas sorted on his own. There's a, a quotation in a book where a colleague says, vision is not a group activity. 
<laughs> she says vision and activity. And in some senses, I've got some sympathy with that. If you think about the normal non-solo forum for getting work done today is normally the team. And the team often works, have you come across forming, storming, norming, performing? as a way of all teams move through, they get together, they think it's gonna be great. Then they have, a, then that's forming, then it's storming. Then they have a row about right. who's gonna do what and who's important and who's in charge and all that. So they have a bit of a row. Then they norm, which is they come up with a, a way of working together. They work through the storming. And then finally they perform. They oh, actually okay. do the stuff. Right. So forming, storming, norming, performing is the kind of code for how teams operate. That's based on the idea consensus and the idea that together we can work through the difficulties and we can come up with something that really works. We can come up with a solution. We have the problem solved. That doesn't suit solo. Mm. What solo's creativity follows is more saturation, incubation and illumination. So saturation is when you just, let's imagine, you, you just sort of wander around a subject on your own, no particular goal, no particular aim, you're just interested in it. So somebody who's been told, come up with the next gadget that everybody's going to want in their car. So we've done flashing indicators that go flash, 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 flash to show whether you're turning left or right. We've done that. We've got all the electric seats going backwards and forwards. So what can we give people next that they'll suddenly realize they've wanted all these years but never had? And so what a team would do with forming, storming, norming, performing would be to sit down very sensibly and work out these ideas. What a creative solo would do would be just to perhaps go for a drive in his car and perhaps read some car mags and perhaps look at what people do when they're not in their cars. What do people like doing when they're not in their cars? But it's not directed, it's not well thought out. His investing, you can call it research exactly, because you're just sort of wandering about. Mm. And then the incubation stage is, well, oh, right. So yeah, well, people like having coffee when they're not in their cars. And sometimes when they're in their cars, they like having coffee, but that's tricky because you've got to hold the steering wheel with one hand, you've got to hold the coffee cup with that hand and it's cold anyway, because it was bought at the petrol station half an hour ago. So people like having coffee. So yeah, I've noticed that. So you're just sort of wandering around, incubating different ideas. Mm. You're just thinking about things in a random way. And then gradually, if you're lucky, you might get the third stage of, of illumination, which might, in this example, be something like, well, yeah, okay, so we, so let's try and get some coffee into cars. Now, how can we do that? Well, we can put in, oh, I know, old steam railway locomotives used to get water by sticking out a pipe down into a trough of water as they were going along. There was a trough of water in the middle of the track and they used to suck it up. So yeah, that's what we can do. We can have coffee available in a trough down the middle of every road and the car will then zoom out a pipe which will go down into that and suck up hot coffee. Yeah, right, that's great. What a great idea, obviously. Very creative. Very creative. Very creative. 
exciting. Rubbish, because it's not going to work. It doesn't matter to Solo, and it, and it really doesn't matter because we mustn't try and constrain his creativity. Mm. But with the illumination process, the third stage, you would have sort of, yeah, okay, so uh, maybe that would be tricky, and maybe the Singaporean government wouldn't really want to dig up all its motorways to put coffee, a coffee canal down the middle. But how about we install a little coffee machine? They're around already. So we know you can make coffee in a car by plugging it into the little electric socket. But it's difficult because you then have to lift up the cup and we don't want that. I know, let's use the hose idea. Okay, we can't stick it into the road. But what we can do is we can have a long straw, perhaps a flexible cooled straw from the coffee container. So the coffee container stays in the car, but you can suck it easily as you're driving along safely and keeping two hands on the wheel. Now, that sort of process of saturation into an idea, incubation, and followed by illumination, is a more creative, but essentially solo kind of non-directed way of being creative. What's interesting about that is that having come up with that illumination, having solo, having come up with that illuminated idea, he could then pass it on to a serious grown-up team who could then, through forming, norming, storming, performing, work out how big has it got to be? How much is it going to cost? How are we going to install it? How are we going to maintain it? How's that going to affect electricity supply in the car? They can do the sort of sensible stuff. So therefore, the management of Solo could involve and should involve allowing Solo to be Solo, to go through his undirected, vague, more floppy kind of creativity before going on to the grown-up stage, which is the uh, more classic teamwork, directed, outcome-oriented, goal-oriented kind of thinking. And so there's a role for both. There's a role for both ways of, of working. But the good manager must recognize who's suitable for which kind of role and not try and get a round peg, not try and force a round peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole. Yes. And I think that's a lot of what a lot of companies may try and do, because that's that age old argument like, oh, we need to challenge so that people can grow. And so we put them in situations where their challenge is not necessarily like akin or, you know, at home for them. How are you on the argument? For me, I'm sort of like, yeah, I think if you're on a deadline, I wouldn't put someone in a, in a position like that. Like, especially in, in today's world where things are like, oh, we need things to happen now, 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 or within a few weeks. Where's the line? I mean, this is just off tempo a bit, but like, where's the line of like challenging and then playing to people's strengths? It's a good point, Shubra. I'm very much in favor of giving people lots of different opportunities to try out different things. So therefore, moving people around in an organization inviting them to shadow, to work with other people, to experience different things is great. But don't expect them all to succeed. Mm. I think but that will give people an opportunity to try out other things. So I think that's great. I think that's great. And positive will create a new relationships and new ways of working and new ideas. So that's absolutely fine. But some people will find that challenging. There's one person actually once built, and this is a physical building, what he called a creativity hotel where some creative people used to go for secondment for six months. No goal, no, it's got to be done by tomorrow. No, even what it is that's got to be done. 
And into this hotel would come a stream of guests from all sorts of different disciplines, all sorts of different worlds, politicians, writers, artists, um, graffiti artists, and um, musicians. And they would just sort of live together as if they wanted to for a bit and rub ideas off each other. And there were some huge creative ideas that, that came out of that interaction. So interaction between people and new interactions is entirely positive for creativity. Mm, yeah, I think that's, that's so important as well to definitely consider. So then out of curiosity, I mean, for the type of people that you like to work with, what are the types of companies that you would want to work with, I think is... Uh, Absolutely, any, any. I've not any. come across any company. Well, no, that's not strictly true. Any company that recognizes it has a need to promote its creativity. Hmm. If there's a company that says, no, we're not, we don't need creatives. I wouldn't be particularly keen to work with them, but I probably wouldn't be because they'll probably be out of business within the next six months. Because I really don't think that a company today can afford to neglect its creativity because that's one of the huge resources the company has. Mm. And for a company not to promote the creativity of its colleagues is to fail to use one of its key resources. So mm. why would a company not want to have creatives and to deepen the creativity of those it's already got. You're right. Basically, it's not limited to anything, right? We're talking, it could be banks, it could be trading, it could be artistic organizations, it could be educational institutions, it could be startups. Because as you said, like every single business needs creatives, whether they're working in marketing, whether they're trying to get more customer outreach, more client base, more returning customers, making innovative ways of how to reach their customers now that with COVID and lockdown and lack of travel type of situations as well. Everyone needs to tap into their own creatives that way. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Let's choose an example of somebody, an aircraft engine manufacturer makes jet engines for planes with somebody working there whose job it is to improve the fuel efficiency of their latest engine. Mm. And there are 25 different components in this engine, let's imagine, that have a bearing on fuel efficiency. And his job or her job is to play around, to experiment, run a whole series of hundreds and hundreds of experiments on the different interactions if you adjust each of these 25 things. So he's got to adjust one and see if that makes it more efficient, adjust another, then do those two in combination, and then those three or whatever. Huge number of technical minor adjustments to check fuel efficiency. And so that's a fairly sort of do one, then do the next one, test it, do the next one, test it, do the next one, test it. That's a fairly sort of ugh kind of a job. Not particularly creative, but useful and necessary for, for the company. Then let's imagine that guy, and I'm referring to him as a bloke, goes home one night, flicking through a magazine, and comes across a hoover, a vacuum cleaner. Yep. The following day, and he thinks maybe that material might be useful in the engine, because it seems to improve the efficiency of the vacuum cleaner, and a vacuum cleaner is kind of a bit like a mini jet engine. So... And he goes into work, and of course, the story goes that it proved to be the answer to the efficiency of the engine. But the the point I want to make here is he didn't have that idea at work. Mm. He didn't even consciously want to have that idea. He wasn't searching. Creativity can sometimes pop up at three o'clock in the morning. Mm. 
or it can crop up when you're down at the in a restaurant with friends. And so the way you manage that creativity is really important because let's imagine, because the way normal industrial management would handle that, handle what that would be to put more people on the job doing the, all the testing more efficiently. And so they, whereas the solution came from flicking through a magazine. So it's not predictable. Mm. It's not organizationable. And for the organization to benefit from the creativity of that person, they have to be sufficiently flexible to allow that accidental creativity to happen. No, that's, and I think it's so important for managers to encompass this kind of information, especially in today's age where we are facing such new normals in how we have to approach business and organizations and organizational structures and working within teams, especially when we're not even in the office anymore. And so I can only imagine now even more so managers are going to be struggling because you're not even even in the same space to be managing this sort of information. And now you're trying to do it remotely. So even more so, I think people should really take you up on your services so that they can bring back their creativity as well as their efficiency to their teams while working in this new normal, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And the new normal, if this is the new normal, does have challenges. I know much of what I've said today is about the manager being perceptive about the needs of the people he manages and preferred ways of working of the people he manages. And that perception can come through body language through close association with that person. And that's harder to do down the other end of a Zoom call. I know myself that when I'm running seminars, if I'm doing them remotely, I find it significantly harder to judge how it's going. Yes. Than if I'm in the same room as the people. Until I had to do this online, which is obviously I'm having to do quite a lot now, until I had to do that, I didn't realize how aware I was of the audience. I didn't realize how sensitive I had to be and was, fortunately, mm. to how it was going and the reactions of people. Now it's much harder. And of course, if they're wearing a mask, it's, it's even harder still. So yes, if this is the new normal, this requires greater skills than the past on the part of the manager. Mm. And so I think we're just going to have to like come to like this end of the wonderful discussion that we're having, Alistair. But if we could just end up with sort of like, what is the shift that you want to create with your work? I want creativity to flourish. I want the world to be better because there's more creativity. And I see at the moment blockage in the flow of creativity because managers and colleagues don't know how to work with their creative colleagues as effectively as possible. And what I do is I take that blockage away. Beautiful. I mean, I'm sold. If I had a company, I would. So <laughs> I think everyone should do this because I think it's so, so important. And given with the new normal, you know, like you're doing things online now, you're doing sessions on Zoom, mentorships on Zoom, as well as consultancy, as well as seminars. So I will be putting Professor Alistair Pierce's details in the show notes below this episode. So if you're listening in the audio or in the video episode, it's going to be there in the show notes below. So just do check it out. 
And I just want to thank Professor Alice Pierce so much for coming on Shift with Sugar today. I had such a great time. I hope you guys did too. And reach out if you have any questions. And yes, don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with people that you think would benefit from this conversation. Thank you so much all for tuning in. Thank you, Alistair. Thank you, Shubra. Terrific. Thank you.